And welcome back to the Next Man Up podcast. We had the NFL draft, the virtual draft, the quarantine draft, however you want to call it, although I don't like to call it a quarantine draft because so many people call, you know, quarantine blank, quarantine, like people make parody songs online, like, oh, the quarantine parody song. And even it went on SNL last night with Pete Davidson. So I'm tired of people saying that, but it was a virtual draft, quarantine draft, whatever you want to call it. I got my boys here, Greg. Derek, first of all, Derek, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing absolutely spectacular. Uh, I thought I thought it was funny you you came in on that because we had uh, my company put on like a virtual conference that we called the quarantine conference. <laughs> that was like an in, a, a totally like zoomed out uh, thing where we had a bunch of business business people come in and speak about how they were like adapting their stuff. Um, so yeah, we've done it to death, and uh, it's old. <laughs> Greg, has it gotten old for you yet? Oh, I mean, you know, it, it's progressing, but this week was a good week. We had the NFL draft, which I know we're going to delve into all types. You know, the quarantine, it's kind of like the new industry buzzword. It's all over the place, but I don't know. I've been tuning that out. I'm happy I got my senior capstone project turned in today, so now the road is clear to graduation, and that's really all that matters for me personally at this point. Oh, congratulations, Greg. How'd that go for you? It went, you know, as, as a lot of projects tend to do, but we got it in. I'm overall pretty satisfied with our final product. And, uh, you know, we're losing money on the plant that we had to design, but almost every team does, and we're not losing a lot of money. So I'm okay with it. Losing money is always a bad thing, but if you can lose, well, you guys aren't pro wrestling fans, but WCW, the old company, in 1999, they've lost $6 million dollars. And in 2000, they lost $64 million. So I'd rather have a loss of $6 million than 64. So congratulations, Greg. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> so let's just move on right into the draft. First, uh, before we get into any specific teams or players or anything, uh, what did you guys think overall about the virtual draft experience as compared to the regular draft with all the glitz, all the fans, all that stuff? Because I personally liked it. I thought it went a lot smoother. Uh, despite the connection issues with with Booger and Michael Irvin and whoever, I thought the actual process went kind of smooth. What do you guys think? Yeah, overall, I agree with that. Uh, Definitely a a lot smoother than I anticipated. Uh, It definitely, you know, I love seeing the fans there, that side of things, but they did what they could, bringing in those Bud Light Seltzer booze um, and everything like that. So I really think they made the best out of a bad situation. And I think on the whole, things went pretty smoothly. Yeah, I mean... Okay. First of all, just like, does any does anybody want to talk about how I totally called the Bud Light seltzer booze like before it happened? Essentially, like this is this is insane. I am Bud Light personified, and they literally took my idea. Granted, we didn't release it before they started the promotion, uh, but I spoke it into existence, and it and it ended up happening. Pretty insane, but. Overall, I was underwhelmed by the booze. I didn't like that Roger Goodell was like into it and like they had, he had like the buy-in, you know, their Bud Light had his buy-in for it. Uh, That was something that like wasn't like really like, you know, sitting, sitting well with me. And then overall, just like the, the biggest, the biggest thing that the biggest problem that I had with the draft was it, it was just like the live aspect was of course taken out, out of it, but like the biggest thing was like people would get picked and they would zoom into the house and like there would be a, there would be a delay and they would just be sitting there on the phone kind of uh, just uh, so, and then like, you know, two, three minutes later, they would come in with an actual reaction. 
So definitely, definitely uh, think, think that there was uh, more to be desired there. Definitely drew out, you know, the first, what was it, 15, 20, 30 picks, like for as long as possible, it seemed. Um, so those, those are my biggest gripes off the bat. Yeah, that first round definitely did run long, but I thought that as far as when you got later in the draft after you had those live reactions, I thought it went smoothly. I think it was a little annoying, and I know that this happens during the regular draft as well, is like five picks would happen and they'd still be talking about one guy, and then suddenly they're like, oh, this guy also got picked three picks ago, and he was four picks ago, he was two picks ago, like kind of filling in the gaps that they missed because they were spending too long on certain prospects. You know, Goodell sucked as well. Like Goodell was was just not pronouncing things right he wasn't like good to like he wasn't easy to look at at all he was sweaty if we're transitioning into the Goodell experience I've got two major gripes with him and one of which is that he kept reading off the cards when everybody else who announced a pick didn't have to read off of a card um, and then also he started to get comfortable, but we never got a fully reclined Goodell. And if he was going to sit in his lazy boy, put his feet up, I wanted to see him in full relaxation mode, and he just never got there. Right. Well, I, I, I think going back to the booing, first of all, he confuses himself with David Stern. That's really where this whole booing thing started a few years ago, you know, because the NBA draft would always be in New York where there'd be tough fans. So they would boo the crap out of Stern, but it really wasn't a boo because we hate you. It was a boo out of begrudging respect for David Stern, but we, you know, we still think you're a little annoying. Here, Goodell thinks he's on the same level of David Stern as like a beloved figure in his sport, when really the boos are actually, no, we actually hate you. So he, he confused the two. He was getting into it because he thought that the boos were some sort of weird version of applause for him, and that's not the case at all. So I think he misread that situation. And as well, yeah, I agree with Greg. He didn't go full lazy, but he didn't go full hype either. Like when he was interacting with the fans on Zoom, and first of all, it was hilarious that they couldn't even fit, find 12 Chargers fans to fit the screen. Sorry, Derek. <laughs> with Goodell, he wasn't like – he wasn't interacting with the fans, you know. I, it didn't look like he was talking with them at all. He would just say, yeah, come on, guys. And that it just – he is not Mr. Charisma. Let's just say that. Yeah, those those Chargers fans, they're, they're slim pickings nowadays. Chargers actually lost me as a fan whenever they booted uh, Phillip Rivers uh, to the Colts and everything. So, uh, you know, I was I was sitting there too, uh, like, you know, I guess, I guess they picked it at six. And I was like, well, if they get Tua, like, they could actually maybe put together, like, you know, a high-powered off- offense again because – they have the receiving pieces. They just need, like, a quarterback. But, you know, getting to first-round quarterbacks here, Justin Herbert, I think, uh, is is going to be a huge, huge bust. Uh, and that franchise is going to need to continue their their quarterback search uh, over, over the next coming seasons. Yeah, we'll certainly get to Herbert. Uh, but before we do, I, I also wanted to uh, go back to what ESPN's sort of broadcast MO was, which was – I guess they were trying to reach out to the casual fans. They were trying to reach out to the wives that were watching, the girlfriends that were watching, uh, the family members that don't care about the NFL. And it seemed that almost every draft pick had a family member that died or a family member that was addicted to drugs or, you know, we're Penn Staters, we're uh, aware of Yuturgos Matos' story. But this, his story seemed to happen for almost every player. 
and they insisted on telling these extremely difficult stories. Uh, what did you guys think of that? Did you think that was necessary? I think that there's a time and a place for that, and I think that it really just tried to be bludgeoned over our heads. I really, I kind of get highlighting, you know, the human side of things, but I think ESPN really tried to play it up, and you even look, like you mentioned, uh, the one instance that really comes to mind for me is T. Higgins when they brought up his mother's drug addiction, and like, credit to him, people were talking trash on ESPN, and he then tweeted out a reply saying, I'm proud of my mom for turning her life around for me and my sister. I have no problem with showing the world that my mom is a true fighter. Like, that is a classy response, but there is no reason that ESPN should have brought that up in the first place for almost every single draft pick. But on the flip side of that, I do think that there was a nice human element um, that was unintentional and unemphasized by ESPN about actually looking at these coaches and GMs as they're making this process. They're doing these things alongside their kids, with their dogs, with their wives. It was very nice to get that humanizing element, but I think ESPN kind of picked the wrong angle to go with it. And the GM coach thing, that was not forced, you know, that was something. It was was organic. It was natural. Exactly. They didn't call attention to it at all, and it came off more effective than telling the the sad stories. Derek, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely, like, some sensationalization going on, and it's one of those things where it's, like, if, like, out of all of the drafts, like, this is the one that you don't necessarily need to rely on that to, like, draw in viewers because you already have a captive audience in the the fact that we're all – quarantined in our house we don't have any sports and we're drowned we're drowned out of like action so of course everybody's gonna watch and and of course you know the the actual viewership was like record-breaking for this this year's draft so you know I I definitely thought that you know it was it was a lot you know not necessarily un, unnecessary stories but just over and over and over again repetitive repetitiveness and it, it just get, gets to a point where it's like, okay, is this, is this about, you know, the player? Is this about, you know, their skills? Or is this about, you know, purely the story and, and the situation that they've, that they've been able to come out of uh, because of football? Um, so that, that, that was like my only thing about it. Yeah, I agree with that as far as like there's a merit to the storytelling, but I think it should be storytelling that benefits the player that boosts them up because this is their special night. But instead, it seemed like ESPN was just looking for any piece of information they could find to try to like hook in more viewers with these emotional stories. And there are some ways that, that it could work. Like, for example, uh, Thomas from Georgia, the fourth pick, they talked about his uh, history as a percussionist. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's something I didn't know about him. And it, that's pretty neat. You know, there, there are facts that you can uh, put out there that enhance what you think of someone. Uh, I don't know if this enhances what you think of them because so many players have gone through similar stories that it's almost sensory, sensory overload at that point. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that story was funny, though, because they almost like blew it over, too, because he's like, oh, this guy's a percussionist. But his coach said, you know, if you want to be serious about football, you could do this at the next level. And that's what he's doing right now. And I'm like, OK, all right. Like we had we had a piece of this guy. <laughs> and then it's just like back to uh, kind of like this cookie cutter <laughs> format of explaining the picks. Um, but yeah, no, I was just kind of blown over. Uh, before we move on to the actual draft, uh, w- what is your opinion on people in the house, like especially in this time of social distancing, not doing a lot of huge gatherings, stuff like that? 
how many people do you think should be in the house? Should the agent be involved? Should the extended family be involved? Like you look uh, to his house, had a lot of extended family. Uh, C.D. Lamb was sitting on the couch, like not social distancing whatsoever with his girlfriend and his parents and all that. So uh, who do you think are essential people to be in the household at that time? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really have a problem with, like the the amount of people I know I know that uh you know I was watching I was watching the draft with my brothers and it seemed like every single time they would shoot to a family he would be like oh that's more than like 10 people like that's more than like this 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 amount of people um me personally I'm like if if you're quarantining with your direct family you know they're they're all they're all good like they're they've already been around you, you know, if somebody has it, like you're all exposed, exposed to at this point, it's about isolating and cutting yourself out from, from the rest of the world. Um, and even, even, you know, with coronavirus and everything, like I totally, I totally understand, like, if you want to get like, you know, your extended family involved for something as big as like the, the NFL draft, you know, come you know, this, this kid's dream, you know, coming to, coming to fruition and him getting, getting the call. That's like a big moment that I think a lot, a lot of people, you know, want, want to be a part of, especially when you look at Tua and all, all of the different, um, you know, themes that were going around with his story, where it's like, he's bringing his family name to a higher level, the Hawaiian culture. It's very much about uh, the family and the honor that the individuals bring to the family name. Um, so it's, I, I didn't really have a problem with it at all. It's definitely like an afterthought that goes, goes on. I, I wasn't necessarily like frowning down on anybody for, you know, including, including different people that are important in their lives. Two has got to drop the lays him and his family. They got to drop the lays around their necks is the last person that did. That was Marcus Mariota. And yep. I don't want to put that curse on the two of there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh it's it's one of those like J- Jameis is still getting jobs, but uh, Marcus he was number two, so uh, he's uh, he's out. Well, he's going to be competing for that Vegas job, and we'll we'll get the Vegas in a bit. But I guess the top story was the first round quarterbacks. We had Burrow, obviously. You know, we're about two weeks past the point of expiration date on Tiger King references, but ESPN went all in on that, obviously. Uh, we had Tua number five to Miami. We had Herbert number six to LA, and then we had Jordan Love to the Packers, which was by far the most interesting. Uh, just overall thoughts on the four QBs taken, their landing spots. Uh, Greg, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think you look at the first quarterback and last quarterback of that round. That's where most of my thoughts are. You look at Joe Burrow going back to Ohio, uh, really just the the high caliber season that he had closing out at LSU where you could put it all together. He's had the leadership. He's got the skill set. I love that fit. I think he's going to do great things for that franchise. He is a franchise quarterback, and I am excited to see what he does, especially with some of the pieces that are there, some of the pieces that they got in this draft. And then looking at that last quarterback taken with Jordan Love, I think it's hilarious that Rodgers got farved. That's fantastic. And it really just shows that, you know, no matter how much changes in Green Bay, things just keep staying the same. They're a staple NFL franchise for a reason. They're going to continue operating in the same fashion. Um, And I think it's going to be interesting seeing how that situation unfolds in the coming months and coming years. Yeah, and with Love, it's almost like a sliding door scenario. Like if he landed on a team that needed a starter, like let's say – 
the Chargers instead of going for Herbert. They went for Love right away, and he was thrown right into the fire. He could be Jameis, but worse, because he, he led the NCAA in interceptions last year. So if he starts there, there's a bunch of picks his rookie year, never gets that confidence going, then all of a sudden he's out of the league in four years. But because he landed in a situation like Green Bay, it could be a scenario where they work with him year after year. You know, Matt Flynn got a major deal from Seattle just from backing up Rodgers and being able to learn under him. So I think love could be a similar scenario. Derek, what do you think of the love pick? I just like I, I, I have a I have a friend that, that I work with that that's a Packers fan and I was I was just making so so many jokes jokes about her um or, or to her about about this pick. Just kind of like, oh like uh Jordan Love has the same has the same name as Aaron Rodgers' brother, uh confirming that he won't have any relationship with Jordan Love. Uh does does um Aaron Aaron Rodgers, you know, pick up the phone and call Brett Favre and and ask him uh, you know, what 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 he did when the Packers drafted like that asshole rookie that was gonna replace him. Uh does Aaron Rodgers, you know, demand a trade and end up playing for the Vikings now? Like what what's going on? Like it's it's just one of one of these things. Like and the big the biggest thing that you know was was kind of like the the byline of this story was like I think I think Aaron Rodgers came on like a radio show or something and they were like oh who would you want them to pick at twenty five or where wherever they were picking and he's like well they haven't drafted a skills player in the first round in the past like X amount of years so. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> so he went. He wanted, you know, like a receiver, a, run, a running back, you know, some some kind of weapon uh, for him for him to throw throw the ball to, and they end up getting a getting a court quarterback to eventually replace him. You know, with Rodgers being the um, you know confident, arrogant kind of guy that he is, I could definitely see this. You know, leaving a poor taste in in his mouth. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the dynamic of everything as things go on here. Not only did they not take a, a receiver or skill position player in round one, they didn't take a receiver at all, which I find kind of ridiculous because besides DeMonte Adams and obviously Jones, they didn't have really any reliable targets last year. They lost Jimmy Graham, who is not the Jimmy Graham of yesteryear, but he was obviously somebody that Rodgers trusted a little more than of all this scantling. I don't know, even even the last years of Randall Cobb when he was there. So I, I don't under, really understand that one. But if you're looking at the Packers themselves, they have – they're a pretty balanced roster. So if you're going to take a shot on a quarterback, this might be the year rather than one or two years from now when Rodgers is broken down and you don't have much talent to surround that quarterback with. So I actually thought it was the right year to pick a quarterback, number one. I don't know if Love is that quarterback, though. I, I think I would have waited a couple rounds, maybe tried to grab Hurts in round two like you guys did, and we'll, uh, we'll transition to Hurts here in a second. But I, I don't know if it's actually the right pick, but the right year for sure. So we'll see what happens there. And then you guys, the Eagles, went ahead and picked yourself Jalen Hurts. So what do you guys think of that one? Well, I think it, I think it's just hilarious that you're you're sitting here and and it's like, okay, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers probably still has a couple 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 years left. They probably could have like you know held off another couple years. Uh, I think Carson Wentz is 27, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I, in I the first year of his hundred million plus dollar contract. 
Like, what is going on? He's 27, but he's like maybe 33 in football years, if you want to count all his injuries. Which is still younger than Aaron Rodgers, and definitely, like it's it's just it's just one of one of these things where it's like uh, how Howie Doug Peterson came out said this said that they wanted to be a quarterback factory that they they were in the business of manufacturing quarterbacks. Timing doesn't make sense. Like yeah. Wentz is still too young; he still has too much tread on the tires. Uh, and you know, even even if you were to you know get to a point down the line where you might want to part part ways with Wentz, it's still going to be way too long, and you're going to be you know borderline almost going to be paying Jalen Hurts you know big time quarterback money, not get, getting the benefits of that that rookie contract uh, that has yielded so many so many Super Bowls for so many different teams because you can spread the money out. It just it just didn't make sense. It it really like I could only see it as an insurance policy and or they're trying to move move on from Wentz uh, sooner rather than later, which I just don't see the val the value of. I think my thought on this is first off, I was dismayed at the pick at the time because we had gone with a wide receiver in round one who I did not have on my radar for a round one pick. And then we still had defensive needs, maybe could use another wide out offensive line. And then we went with a quarterback where we already have a starting quarterback in the second round with so many other needs. After the rest of the draft unfolded, I feel much better about this pick. But again, I agree with you that just the timing doesn't make sense. The only other rational explanation I can think of is that Andrew Luck got in their heads and they saw Andrew Luck retire right before a season started with minimal warning to anybody and they went shoot what if that happens to us we really need somebody who can step in and play if Wentz does this to us that's the only thing I can think of is they saw one other quarterback do it and got scared that their injury prone quarterback would follow suit well not only at the quarterback position but everywhere you know Luke Keekley just straight up leaves the game at a, at a relatively young age people like that so I uh I I like that point, but let me give some hope to you guys. The last time a Philly pick was that panned was Brandon Graham in 2010, and I think that worked out fine. He's going to be such a – regardless of how he improves as a passer, you know, he spends way too much time in the pocket, et cetera. No matter how much he upgrades as a passer or doesn't upgrade as a passer, teams aren't necessarily going to see that unless Wentz does get hurt and Hurts is thrown into the fire. But if Hurts doesn't have to play that much, he's still going to be – in the intriguing prospect stage of, uh, of the game. Like, for example, there's a guy in the NBA, who, uh, Bruno Caboclo, who was infamous for being two years away from two years away, and he was still an intriguing prospect up until last year when the Grizzlies finally played him and they realized they sucked. But the Grizzlies were able to get, uh, to get some trade value out of him. So... Uh, I think the pick will work out regardless, even if he's used for trade bait, uh, because teams will be uh, trying to talk themselves into Hurts. Uh, even two years from now, even three years from now, I think teams would want to talk themselves into him. So uh, do, do you guys agree on that? Well, we got a first rounder for Sam Bradford. So I definitely think, that you know, granted that was a gift from above, uh, but I definitely think, you know, especially when we get into preseason, any any one of these preseason training camp situations and, you know, somebody goes down with an ACL, there will be opportunity. You know, there will be teams that are in like 
the win now window or have external pressure that would be willing to de- to deal picks for Hertz to come to come in in a relief type situation, or just you know for a quarterback needy team that just straight straight up like still needs him. We def I could definitely see that you know coming coming out. Um, I think that it would be it would be a power move <laughs> from uh, you know Howie to to literally you know, have everybody, everybody yelling at him and then um, about this quarterback pick and then just, you know, in a, in a season or two, flip it for like a first round and like a third round pick to like somebody that, you know, just needs a quarterback. Um, that would be a power move. But yeah, you know, like it's, it's just one of, one of those things. I, I still don't like, like the pick, you know, that much. I think that we could have, we could have taken, a safety we could have taken you know a, a any any one of our any one of our needs cornerback you know we always need cornerbacks because they're always injured but again i i have optimism about this pick for a couple of reasons uh number one is i fully agree that we could have addressed those needs there but when you look at the fact that we got a speedy guy in taylor i think he's got a lot of potential at linebacker wallace at safety very intriguing prospect I think we got him for a steal Another linebacker in Bradley who went really late. Like I've got faith that some of these temple guys. You. Anyway, oh yeah, I know you're gonna you're gonna hop on that temple train. But there are a lot of guys that we picked late that were value that fill some of those areas of needs that make me feel better about this. The other two things, the smile on Doug Peterson's face. I don't know if I trust Howie Roseman, but I trust Doug Peterson after that Super Bowl win, and he just looked so happy after that pick that that made me feel reassured. And the final thing. Philadelphia has been a city of backup quarterbacks. You have Nick Foles stepping in a couple different times as a backup and leading the team to success. You've got the Jeff Garcia season. You've got Mike Vick stepping in. You've got A.J. Feely. There is just such a weird history of this football city needing backup quarterbacks that I have no problem having Jalen Hurts back there as opposed to Nate Sudfeld or McCown or somebody like that. Like This makes me feel reassured just because there's such a pattern of needing backup quarterbacks in our history. It's almost like Donovan McNabb wasn't really that good to begin with and his backups played better than him. Almost. I hate Donovan McNabb. I really do. At least Hurst isn't going to be throwing balls into the dirt half the game. Just, just saying that. Yo, I, I have, I have a, I have a, I have a joke. This is, this is a dated joke. Um, but the one season of American Idol that that I watched, it was the one with the guy where the guy came on and sang the song uh, "Pants on the Ground." Pants on the ground, pants oh. on the ground, and literally, me and my dad like redubbed it and renamed it "Pass on the Ground," and it was a song about Donovan McNabb throwing throwing the ball at its receiver's feet and then laughing about it. And I was just like looking like a fool with your pass on the ground. Congratulations, Derek! I you have a strong comedy career ahead of you. I I just had to I just had to include that. It was I couldn't pass up the opportunity there. What what a charming anecdote! I I really you know I this is this is the quarantine content that nobody asked for, but I will give to them and they will listen to because they're bored. It was already the description of the first episode that we had. Uh, I make those, by the way, marketing expert Derek Rieger. Yeah, um, clearly you make those after the White Claw dig, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, the Claw guy, Claw guy, Greg over here, uh, just re- okay. Yeah, no, we'll move on. Okay, I guess we'll move on then. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Um, but yeah, just one note on the Eagles. Uh, they were a slow ass team last year and they added a lot of team speed. Like I said, Sean Bradley, T for Temple, you a beast. He can play, he can line up at any linebacker position. He's quick. You added uh, Rieger and Watkins uh, for some vertical game. So and hurts himself is a, is a fast dude. So I think you guys added a lot of team speed, which is the one thing like you have the foundation, you have the fundamentals, you just needed the raw speed to keep up with especially the Cowboys now that they added Lamb. So we'll flip over to the Cowboys here. How pissed were you guys when they took Lamb ahead, three, four picks ahead of where the Eagles would have been? Pissed. Awful. That was – as soon as I saw where wide receivers were going, I really thought that Lamb was going to fall all the way to us. And then the Cowboys struck, as they tend to. Jerry Jones coming in. From his evil lair, his evil lair on a yacht, decided to take C.D. Lamb a couple picks ahead of us. I think primarily just to spite us. Like, they were already loaded at wide receiver. Um, I don't know if they really wanted to get better, but now they've got him alongside Cooper and Gallup. You got Zeke. <clears throat> you've got Zeke in the backfield. That, that's, a, that's an interesting offense that you've got unfolding down there in Dallas. It was, it was reminiscent of, of the Dallas draft when we traded up ahead of them to take Dallas Goddard, the tight end, when they had tight end needs after Jason Witten uh, had retired the first time uh, and, ca- and came out and came out of it, uh, it just it just really was a fuck you pick um, from the Cowboys. Jerry was sitting in his yacht, shitty shit eating grin, ear to ear, couldn't even be bothered to like pick up the phone. He had like his his uh, girlfriend or whatever hold holding the phone for him. And, uh, yeah, that's a scary wide receiver core now. So how do you think this affects the uh, divisional race as is? Because you guys on the last podcast said the Eagles would still win the division, no problem. But the Cowboys, they added Lamb. They added Diggs, the the corner from Bama, who plays against the top wide receivers in the SEC week in and week out. That's the first thing I look for in a D-back that you're trying to draft is, does he cover number ones week in, week out? That's why I did not like – the Raiders pick of Arnett from Ohio State because uh, Okuda would uh, take the number ones. He would be mostly left with number twos in the slot, guys. So he doesn't really have that experience going up against the top, top talent. That's why I didn't really like that pick. But I love the uh, the Diggs pick for the Cowboys. So does it, do these drafts uh, change your guys' thoughts on the divisional race at all? I love that, I love that you said uh, – you mentioned o- Okuda because Okuda was actually like – Derek's dream pick of the season like every every single year I have like some type of dream pick where I'm like if like just like think best player on the board you know like would love the Eagles to just trade up and like get get this guy kind of like a a little a little bit cognizant of team needs like in 20 in 2016 it was Carson Wentz and, and we ended up you know trading up twice and going going to get him 2017, Marshawn Lattimore missed him by two picks. Mm. Uh, was was awful, and and uh, I forget I forget who ended up dra- drafting in 2017 in the first round. But 2018, coming off of the Wentz in- injury, uh, I wanted Quentin Nelson so bad. We weren't even close to getting him, um, but I just we just needed that that uh, piece. Um, oh, I think I think in 2017 we we actually picked up Derek Barnett, which Didn't ended like up Derek you know, Barnett, yeah, doing the. Uh, yeah, causing the Brady fumble in the Super Bowl, and we ended up winning. So can't be too mad about that. 
uh, yeah, 2019, I, I was underwhelmed, but like, I just like Jeff Okuda, like just seemed to be the best, like borderline, the best, the best defensive player uh, on, on the board. I know everybody's going to, going to talk about Chase Young. Uh, Greg Avazi hates him. Uh, Tom, I think, you know, is pretty, pretty in the, in the camp that, you know, he's a foundational player, but I just really loved Okuda, man. I freaking, I freaking wanted him. Uh, and no, yeah, I think, I think it definitely, the Cowboys had a good draft. The Cowboys had a great draft. I hate to see it. I think it will be another slugfest in the NFC East. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be, just going to be that much closer of a race. Well, how can you, how can you not love Okuda? He's an academic star with a whole 3-0 GPA. The 3-0. God, is that really where the standards are now where 3-0, you're an academic fucking star? Anyway, go ahead. Then you guys are ridiculing somebody for being above a four. You need a 3-6 to impress this crew. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, who was who above the 4-0? Who was that guy? Was that, was that Herbert? I think it was. I don't. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but I remember both of you sounding off about it, which means it was probably Herbert. With well, Herbert did. I, I believe him and Bro were uh, the top two scorers on the Wonder Lick, so that would make sense. That's hilarious. It's literally you get this like prep school look, looking John Elway dream super tall guy that like probably won't be able to throw a football uh, going in four over four zero, but like. Okuda, Okuda hit, got a 3-0. Like, we're really impressed with that. I'm just like, it's it's just becoming increasingly apparent who's running the show here, who's being impressed by what. Like, it's uh, just, wow. John Elway has more legs right now at 55 or however old he is than Justin Herbert does right now. So I, I don't think John Elway would be impressed with that comparison. So I, I guess just moving on here, we can go to the Patriots led by the good boy, the Husky, uh, making the picks uh, in, in the place of Bill Belichick or Bill Belichick as an anamorph either way. I love so that. <laughs> that was so great. So they traded back in typical Pats fashion, but still no quarterback picked. I thought they were actually going to go for Jake Fromm in the later rounds uh, before Buffalo took him. Uh, why, why, why do you think they didn't take a quarterback? Yeah, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Greg, Greg, what, what, are, what are your thoughts, man? Like Belich- Belichick's really like a head scratcher for me on a, on a lot of on a lot of these uh, diff- different situations here. Jake Fromm was on the board for way too long into like what the fifth round like there really wasn't a reason why you shouldn't take a shot on somebody i really don't know what to tell you on that i don't know what's going on in bill's mind if he wants to start building a team for the long term if he's trying to win now i don't know what exactly he wants to be doing but i think if he's focused on trying to bring in pieces to have success this season be able to compete against everything the bills have done i think he's probably already in talks with Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, some of those guys, um, because he's going to need a quarterback who can come in and play from day one if he wants to be competitive. Uh, I don't think that excuses not taking a young quarterback because I think that they need one going forward. I think with where Eason went, I understand why the Pats didn't go for him. But with just how long Fromm was on that board, I don't understand how he's not in a New England uniform right now. If they get Dalton, I think they could actually make a playoff run because Dalton has a stronger arm than Brady does. I think Dalton can actually hit guys down the field. So uh, Nikhil Harry, for instance, instead of having to learn all these complicated routes and and catch things right on a dime from Brady, and if he doesn't, he's going to get yelled at, and that might kill his confidence. 
he's going to have more time to spread the field, go deep. And if he doesn't catch something from Andy Dalton, he's not going to get the yelling of all yelling. So I think he'll be able to build his confidence from that. Yeah. Uh, did you see the, uh, did you see the Madden projections though? They put like Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, Stidham in like all these Madden simulations. And I think, I think Andy Dalton actually had the lowest wins out of all of the potential hmm. uh, QBs, including Julian Edelman. Um, he had like maybe three or four wins uh, with the Patriots. So that's well, Madden's take. Well, well, two things about Madden's take. First of all, they don't really do injuries realistic, and Cam is going to get hurt within the first six weeks. Sorry, Cam, but you know it's true. And number two, NBA 2K did some simulations. Uh, what if the rest of the season was played out? And they had the fucking Sixers winning the title. Now I love the Sixers, but that's just not happening. So I don't know how accurate those video game sims can be. I'm just going to claim that Sixers uh, championship. Uh, if the rest of the season doesn't get played, I'm claiming that. I think we should hang a banner in Wells Fargo Center for this year's championship win. I just want to say that. But the thing to me that's very interesting about this, this Patriots draft is no matter who their quarterback is, they got him a couple of tight ends, but they got tight ends in back-to-back picks. They picked up a couple offensive linemen, a safety out of a, a D2 school, although he's Belichick and the kid looks awesome, so I'm sure it's going to turn out to be a great pick, and then three linebackers. It was just a very interesting position draft strategy for the New England Patriots, I think. I think that all and a kicker, and a kicker. I think that we all get kind of caught up in this um... – kind of this this idea where it's like okay Brady's out out of here now um like what what is what is what is Belichick what is Belichick going to do like it, it kind of kind of gets into this rivalry situation where it's like every single win that both of these two individuals now is going to be measured up against each other um and we kind of get get into that game like who's going to be the real greatest piece of the greatest uh coach quarterback duo of all time but like if you think about Belichick he could just not care (laughs) about any of that and just literally be making the best decisions that he thinks uh you know possible for for the Patriots you know he might he might not think that you know you know thrusting this team back into uh you know a a win now scenario with whatever quarterback you know he he can find off the streets would be the best the best move uh so it's it's one of these things like I think that he could just put the hoodie on and and, you know you know continue to not care about the media or or the fans or, or any anything else really uh, just kind of carry on and then you know maybe two or three down the lines he wins another Super Bowl and it's just like well yeah of course of course we did uh, if he can lead Jared Sidham to the Super Bowl hell if he can lead Jared Sidham to 10 wins like you did with Matt Castle or uh, I think it was it 10 or 11 wins either way if he can lead them to that then yeah Belichick I mean if he's not already the greatest coach of all time that would seal it right there and one more note on the Pats, Dalton Keene is the perfect Patriot. He, he, a white blocking tight end from Virginia Tech who doesn't have much mobility at all. That's, that just screams Patriot right there. Speaking of skill position, guys, uh, there were a lot of wide receivers in this draft. Obviously, we already talked about Lamb. We already talked about Rieger. Uh, the teams that went all in on this wide receiver class were the Vegas Raiders and the Denver Broncos. And this reinforces my thought that, first of all, the Raiders actually are committed. If they're not committed to Carr 100%, they're either committed to Carr or Mariota. They think that one of those guys is the answer. They're not going to go ahead and trade Carr right away or 
you know, they're, they're actually going to ride it out with, with one of those two guys. And I think it is going to be Carr. So they made sure that there are no excuses anymore for him. And then on the Denver side, Drew Locke has got to be loving this draft because our guy KJ Hamler from uh, Penn State and they got Judy as well to add to Cortland Sutton. That is just the perfect three, three wide receiver set. Uh, Sutton is the main guy. Hamler is the speed guy. Judy is the slot guy. Uh, I just thought that was really well done. Uh, what do you guys think of the Vegas and the Denver moves going all in on the wide receiver class? I definitely, I definitely like had a prediction that Gruden was going to take a uh, Bama wide receiver to replace uh, Amari Cooper. Granted, I got the receiver wrong. It ended up being Ruggs and not uh, Judy, like like I uh, orig- originally predicted. Uh, but it was was good to, was good to see there, and I, I love I love that uh, they're they're really going all in um, on the Broncos side on Drew, Drew Lock as a whole. We're going to really get a sense of you know if this guy is going to be a successful uh, quarterback in the league. I know that he's flat has flashed uh, you know last, last season, but you know this is this is going to be the year of truth for a lot a lot of uh, quarterbacks where it's like. You know, we got we got Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's, you know, had mono and and uh, you know all of all of these different uh, things that have impeded him, quote unquote, from being successful. Um, you know, now now I think we're we're gonna get you know some wep- some weapons on hit on his end uh, where he's gonna get tested. Same with Jake Locke. Same with Carson Wentz for like uh, lack of lack of weapons from like. Um, I guess in, injury, you know, we've always had receivers, but you know, the, I think the the running joke for this year was like, oh, the Eagles in the first round select a wide receiver that will be on IR by week six. You can take that to the bank. Um, so just knowing that we grabbed like what was it like seventeen wide receivers? Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it was pro- it was probably more actually, probably more. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bears have ten tight ends, so we actually did twenty wide receivers. Okay, great. I'm I'm glad that we replenished the ranks here. Marquise Go- Marquise Goodwin uh, traded for off of off of a pick. Um, just like there's your IR bet, by the way. Yeah, yeah, ser- seriously, and I'm and I'm sitting there too, and it was just like one of these things where it's like I was unconvinced by. Uh, Jalen Jalen Rager, uh, I call him Jalen Ragalor, uh, just because 20, 2014, Nelson Aguilar, uh, pick twenty overall, twenty twenty, uh, <laughs> Jalen Rager, uh, pick twenty one overall. Uh, I think they could be one in the same. Hopefully not. Hopefully there isn't Rager memes. Hopefully there isn't Rager memes either. Just because like dude is way too close to my name. Um, but you know, it's just overall, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what the quarterbacks actually do with all these weapons. You're as scared of Jalen Rieger being a similar name to you as I am with Senator Kelly Leffler being close to my last name. And that's why I dropped, oh, it's Greg knows. Naturally. Um, getting back to the football though, and these wide receivers, I'll tell you, the, the Raiders definitely had an intriguing draft strategy. Again, going rugs over either Judy or Lamb. And then I think Lynn Bowden was a great pick at 80. I think the versatility in a Gruden offense there, um, 
obviously they already have Jacobs at running back, but you can still have some switch up running back sets, some two running back sets, uh, put them out wide. And then Brian Edwards also, I really like some of the tape on him. So a lot of versatility and a lot of skill going to Vegas. Um, I think that that's going to be very interesting to watch unfold. And again, with Denver, that really is just a double down on who they've already got with putting in these two wide receivers, which really complement Sutton well. Um, and then really doing some good depth building throughout the offense and the defense. You got some bulk up on uh, both the offensive and defensive lines, another wide receiver late out of Florida, uh, some linebacking boost, some secondary boost, really just a, a well-rounded comprehensive draft for the Bron- for the Broncos um, that I think kind of doubles down on who they have there and think that they're at least trying to make a leap within the Well, if you look at how the Broncos like to move the ball, they like to be – almost Steeler-esque, Patriot-esque, where they're going to get their eight, nine-yard chunks at a time. You know, you looked at some of the games last year and you were like, oh, Cortland Sutton has 10 catches? Wow. Like, well, how'd that happen? But they just like to yeah. get the little chunk plays down the, down the field. And Judy is perfect for that, doing most of his work out of the slot. I'm going to make my prediction right now. Jerry Judy is going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year mm. next year. He's going to have at least 70 catches. He's going to have at least – eight or nine touchdowns. This guy is one, has some of the best footwork I've seen in a rookie in forever. And if it's not, if it's not my boy Chase Claypool uh, on the Steelers, I think it's going to be Judy. Uh, oh, even over Burrow, because I just think that Cincinnati team doesn't have enough talent around him yet. If the Bengals go maybe 5-11 and 11 and Burrow puts up great stats, I think uh, the Broncos are actually going to be better than that. I think the Broncos are actually going to compete for a playoff spot with the, these uh, reinforcements that they made. So. That's my pick. Get that bet in now. Interesting to hear talking about their playoff chances because I was texting a friend after Hamler got drafted, and uh, I was like, you know, I kind of like this. It's an interesting compliment to Sutton, but I don't know if I fully agree with them not going defense here. And his response was, well, I mean, if if they can't stop Mahomes, they must be thinking I might as well try to put up 50 on them and see if we can just outscore them that way. And they also like to throw it out of the backfield a lot. Uh, You know, that was how they got – they tried to get Lindsey involved when he was only getting, like, maybe three yards carry, they would try and open it up, get them on some swing passes. And now they got Melvin Gordon, who was one of the perfect guys for that that kind of uh, offense, getting those small chunks in the passing game and uh, just moving the ball down the field. So I, I really like Denver's moves. And then they had the veteran defense, the veteran linebacking core, another year of Chubb improvement. Uh, they brought in – oh, gosh, who, who was the corner they just brought in? Uh, Bouye, right? They brought in Bouye? For a fourth-round pick. Yeah, so they have they have a veteran defense as well uh, with with bringing in Bouye and another improvement year of Chubb, uh, another year of Von Miller. Uh, so if, if they can stay healthy and that offense really is what it is, I have no doubt in my mind that they could at least be a 500 team, especially because they have arguably the best home field advantage in all football as well. I think uh, some folks with Seattle might disagree with you on that one, but uh, other than that, I would agree. So let's bring it back home a little, I guess. Uh, just some thoughts on the Penn State guys that got selected. You know, we already talked a little about Hamler. Uh, what do you think about Gross Matos going to the Panthers? Uh, Tommy Stevens and, jo- and I guess Jawan Johnson is technically an Oregon guy, but Jawan Johnson and Tommy Stevens being reunited in New Orleans. A few other guys getting picked. What, what do you think of our Penn State guys getting in the league? Uh, I think there are a couple really great fits here. Uh, I know we just talked about Hamler, but I think what he can do to stretch out the field in that Broncos offense is going to be an incredible fit. Uh, I love seeing Gross Matos going to the Panthers. I like 
the more that I see out of Carolina, the more I think they're a team on the rise, especially for the future. Um, Tommy Stevens going to the Saints is fantastic. I mean, he's going to fill in that Taysom Hill role. That's, I think, what everybody projected he was going to wind up doing at the next level. And he's gone to the team that knows how to do that. And then I also love Cam Brown uh, going to the Giants. Giants already have some Penn State ties there um, with obviously Saquon as well as Grant Haley and Austin Johnson. I actually just saw recently that uh, the Giants actually hired the Nittany Lions defensive line coach in January. I wasn't aware of that until recently. Um, But I think that Cam Brown there is actually going to be a really interesting fit. And I think that he's had a lot of flashes at Penn State. And I think that he can put it all together and – compete for some playing time, whether on special teams or on the defense out there in New York. Special teams is important too, because uh, a lot of these teams, like for example, the Bengals, they added a couple of linebackers that are going to be special teams pieces right away. That is a very underrated kind of thing for how these players can grow. Like a couple of years ago, the Steelers took Tyler Medikavich out of Temple and they were like, listen, you're not good enough yet, but we're going to put you on special teams and we're going to watch your work and we're going to base it off of your effort. And through his extended effort on special teams, he became a coveted enough player that the Bills were able to sign him for. I, I think he got $9 million from them. So I, I, I definitely agree that special teams is, is underrated as far as getting rookie contributors for. So I, I agree that Cam Brown could make an impact there. Uh, Derek, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, big, the big things that like came out of like from the Penn State side specifically, of course, Matos to the Panthers is super is super interesting. They went they had like almost an entire entirely like def- defensive draft. Derek Brown in the first. They, they, they took entirely defensive players. That's one of the very few times that that happens in the league. Yeah, like that's that's insane. First of all, it it also it also like speaks to like I think that they are they are building a competitive team in the south under Teddy Bridgewater which I think you know before on the last episode we're like well what are they doing like are they serious are they going into rebuild mode like what's 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 uh what's going on I think this this draft strategy really does speak to their belief their belief in themselves to be competitive in that ultra competitive uh NFC south that now has uh, Rob Gronkowski on on the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you know all of these all of these different playmakers, Todd Gurley in in Atlanta, all of, all of these different guys. Um, so that was really crazy. Uh, and then the Tommy Stevens pick is is really really interesting too. I think that the Saints actually um, extended Taysom Hill for a couple more years. Also picked up Jameis Winston. Like who is who is going to be? the heir to Drew, Drew Brees. Is it just going to be one guy? Is it going to be Jameis and maybe like one of these gadget guys that, that are going to come in and be like, you know, kind of uh utility knife kind of, kind of players at the quarterback position. What do, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Great guy. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to watch unfold. And I think they do have kind of, you know, you've seen what Hill can do in a lot of different roles. Stevens kind of fills a similar role. And then, Jameis, if he can kind of sit back and learn, I think that there's a chance that they could extend him. But it is kind of a uh, a one-year deal. So I'm not sure if they're looking at him in the long term or if he's more of like a, if Breeze gets injured, can we slide him in type signing. 
But I think that he is going to take that year to sit back, learn, get his head on straight, learn about how to make some big plays with minimizing turnovers from Breeze. And then, I mean, you know, if he likes to fit there and they want to resign him, he could be the future. But if not, he's definitely going to take that as a learning experience and uh, move on elsewhere. And he's going to learn a lot in this year backing up Breeze. I think how, many, how many years does Breeze have left? I'd give him two. Two? How many years does Big Ben have left, Tommy? Uh, if it were up to me, zero. But he's going to come back regardless. So I'll, uh, I'll also give him two. Interesting. Right now, Breeze's contract is two years, so he would have to sign again after that. Ah, uh, so, so interesting. I just, yes. James Fuck. is going to be the future there, I, I, I actually believe. I think that was such a smart move because if you look at the difference between Teddy Bridgewater and Jameis, uh, Bridgewater's reputation before uh, the injury was that of a winner, not necessarily a guy who's going to get a lot of stats, but a guy who's going to game manage for you and lead you to where you need to go. You know, he led the Vikings to the playoffs. Uh, before he got hurt so when the Saints brought him in they brought him in under that guise and when he actually proved that he could win again then teams are going to take a shot on him as a starter with Jameis when he's a backup he's not really a proven winner so if let's just say Breeze doesn't get hurt again this season and Jameis sees minimal time uh, teams aren't going to want to you know, jump all over Jameis as, oh, this guy proved again that he could win. You know, he hasn't really proven that yet. So they can get him again on the low next season or whenever they need to re-sign him. They could get him on the low as their starter and sort of retool around him because you still have a franchise uh, defensive guy like Cam Jordan. You still have a franchise receiver in Thomas. You still have a franchise running back in Kamara. And when Breeze retires, those guys are still going to be around and you want to still compete with those guys. It's not like the Patriots after Brady where they don't really have much on the offensive side of the ball. The Saints are stacked on both sides of the ball, so they're going to want to retool right away, and I believe they can do it under James. How are you feeling as a Steelers guy, though, knowing that, uh, you know, you got you got assholes like the Philadelphia Eagles taking, uh, you know, J- Jalen, Jalen Hurts off the board. You got, you know, Jam- Jameis, I know, has been a name that's been – going in and out of our of our fan, fantasy Snapchat group is like a potential uh, pickup for the Steelers. Uh, how are you feeling right now? Well, I first of all, I would have loved Jameis. I just I did I would have loved him. Uh, I think he's the right amount of crazy to where like he's like when uh, Rajon Rondo was on the Boston Celtics and you, you can really only have one enigma per team and that's kind of where they went wrong. They had Rondo and KG on the same team, two enigmas. But Rondo alone he is just enigmatic enough in his prime. He was just crazy enough to where he's not gonna he's not gonna slip onto the other side where he goes off the deep end. He's gonna keep it in check enough to where he can uh, produce. And I think Jameis under that Steeler uh, that Steeler's house that he would uh, keep it same. He wouldn't go too far off the deep end into where in Tampa Bay he was sort of allowed to do that with no consequence. I think if he came into Pittsburgh there would be consequences. Similar to his situation now in New Orleans, I think there's going to be more consequence for him. You know, you're not going to see as many late nights out of him. You're not going to see as as many screw-ups out of him. You're not going to see as many, you know, him acting up and and licking his fingers before games kind of crap. Eat a W. Eat a dub. So I I, I think that's a good landing spot for him. But as a Steelers fan, I'm not going to lie, I am pretty depressed this morning because we have to deal with, 
and I don't even know how Baker Mayfield's going to turn out. You know, maybe maybe in three years he's done and the Browns want to move on, or maybe he really does become that MVP level guy that we saw in the second half of his rookie season. But we have to deal with Baker, Lamar Jackson, and now Joe Burrow for the next however many years in our division, and we aren't going to be able to retool that easily because our talent, especially on the defensive side, is so good that we saw that we could go eight and eight with the combination of Mason Rudolph and the freaking duck collar. So uh, when Ben retires, we're still going to have a good enough team that we're not going to have the draft capital as far as a top 10 pick. You know, we're going to be in that 14, 15 range. So we're not going to be able to get a top two quarterback in in a draft unless we trade up. So uh, we don't really have the horse to run with a Lamar or to run with a Burrow when he becomes uh, what he's expected to be, which is an MVP caliber player. We don't really have that anymore. And I, I just think Ben is shot. I, I, wouldn't bring, I wouldn't even bring him back at this point. I, I don't want to see 2015 Peyton Manning uh, all over again with 2020 Ben Roethlisberger. So overall, I mean, I love our defense. Our defense is I, I would put our defense up against anybody's, even the Pats. But I am, I am pretty depressed this morning, not going to lie. Do you feel confident that the Steelers will win the North this year with Lamar Jackson appearing on the Madden cover? Well, they, I mean, Mahomes kind of broke the curse, didn't he? Well, there, there's speculation there because he did, he did go down with an ankle injury during, during the season. Um, but he did win the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I also think that it's not ne- the curse isn't necessarily like an every year thing. Didn't like Megatron come out of the Madden curse like unscathed? Greg, do you have any like input or insight on that? I'll tell you what. I'm never going to believe that the Madden curse is broken as long as I remember that Peyton Hillis at one point was on a Madden cover. Um, I think that the Madden curse forever lives. I think it was Megatron that came out strong. I guess that a dip in numbers that year but he like didn't no that was his best season 2012 Uh, that was actually his best statistical season that was when he uh he broke the record most uh receiving yards yeah I I agree though it's it's kind of it depends on the uh the strength of who's on that cover you had Mahomes just kind of overcome it again he got hurt but he overcame it he won a Super Bowl do you think Lamar can overcome it? That's kind of the, the question here, because I think the Madden curse lives on. I don't think it's broken. I think uh, Mahomes was just able to weaken its effects. Not going to lie with the Ravens, the way they run their system and the talent that they have on defense, just how we could, could go 8-8 eight and eight with Duck Collar and Mason Rudolph. I think they could go at least 9-7 and seven with RG3 in there or our boy Trace McSorley. Even. Trace. Trace. See, they, they, they got Trace as a winner as their back. They got a winner in there. Even if Jackson goes down, they got some people who can make some plays. Yeah, they should trade RG3 or just straight up cut him because we, know, we all know who the superior quarterback is. Then again, I thought that with Josh Dobbs. I, I was the biggest Josh Dobbs supporter, and I don't even know why. I, I just maybe he looked mobile enough that I thought he could be the new Dak Prescott for us because, he, you know, a, a guy come from an SEC school – they had a little mobility, had a bit of an arm, but it's it's sad times for our Steelers, uh, for sure. And we can't go back to the duck collar next year either. Yeah, I I, I don't want to see Rudolph getting his head taken off by uh, Brown's helmet again. Uh, you know that that just all the memes that came out of there. It's just really sad to see. I you love that your uh, franchise is in decline. Don't let me don't get me wrong. Like I I'm absolutely relishing the fact relishing is that a word i'm not sure yes it uh, is 
I'm relishing. I'm I'm relishing. I'm also mustarding. Uh, Are you, you know, thing? I'm 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 dressing this thing up uh, as a big big juicy dog for for me to eat. Uh, yeah, no, this is great. I, I really really love after x amount of years of success that you guys are finally on the down downside this is gonna be i'm i'm gonna have fun with this we'll see there you know what at this point i wouldn't mind cam because at least if he's in there we could play him eight weeks and we could play ben eight weeks and then maybe in that way neither of them will get hurt and we can at least have one of them available for the playoffs if we so happen to make the playoffs because the AOC is the weaker conference going into this year. Uh, the only sure playoff teams for me, Baltimore, KC, and I, uh, and I would actually throw the Bills in there too. But I think those are the only three for sure playoff teams going into next season. You know, maybe you could throw the Titans or the Colts in there, but uh, you know, between the Titans, Colts, and Texans, I don't know who's coming out of that AFC South. Yeah, it's a toss-up. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna ask me right now i think i think it would i think it would be the saints but the thing that we haven't even talked about is freaking gronks coming out of retirement now uh and it's literally it's literally tom tom brady chris godwin mike mike evans gronk and oj howard plus whoever whoever bruce arian picks up for the backfield that you know is inevitably gonna happen like jesus (laughs) That's pretty stacked, but you got to. It all comes down to Brady. It all comes down to is he too old at this point? Is he like I said, twenty fifteen Peyton Manning? Is he there or is he still at a level, at least you know, an average quarterback level like an Andy Dalton last year? Because Andy Dalton, for as much crap as he gets, he actually put up decent stats last year. He had some pretty good games. So if Brady can at least stay at that level, then yeah, watch out for sure. They took a tackle in the first round. They traded up for him. So, like, they're getting him protection. Yeah, a good tackle. They drafted two running backs to try to help him out. And they also – maybe it's just the terrible memories from playing Minnesota this year and having that devastating loss. But Tyler Johnson put on a show in that game, as did Antoine Winfield. So, two good Minnesota guys picked up by the Bucs in this draft as well. I totally forgot about Winfield. That was a great pick by them. Just one more, uh, one more college-related note before we move on. The Temple Owls, like I said before, T for fucking Temple U. Let me run down the schools that Temple had just as many draft picks as Oregon, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Miami U, Baylor. Five powerhouse of powerhouse schools, and the Temple freaking Owls had four picks, just as many as the rest. And uh, I am so proud because I – I thought we were done after Rule left us, and uh, we've been able to keep up our uh, our production as in uh, NFL. I think it's like the uh, this is the first time ever that we've had like a five year stretch of guys getting picked. I love that. I'm just I'm so proud of my Philly boys for doing that. So, hey Temple in the AAC, it's no longer the Power Five; it's the Power Six, right, Tom? I mean, ask any Central Florida fan; they'll tell you. So just two more teams I wanted to touch on before we uh, head out of here on our uh, little draft draft experience, our virtual, our own virtual draft experience. Uh, the Vikings, who had uh, almost, I don't want to say a Bowie Jordan moment, but they had pretty close when the Eagles took Rieger. The Vikings were the very next pick, and they, you know, how uh, when Bowie got picked, 
the Chicago executives were beaming, ready to take Michael Jordan. They were smiling from ear to ear. We want this guy. And it seems like the Vikings brass was similarly grinning from ear to ear, picking Justin Jefferson. Uh, so I, I really like that pick uh, to replace Diggs. There's the second guy behind Thielen, and I think he can uh, get in there right away because he is uh, used to playing on the biggest stages. And those, those are the guys I always look for, the guys that played on the biggest stages. Now, Gladney wasn't the best prospect, but they realized they had to take the corner. And so I, I like that pick as well. Uh, I just thought they added on both sides of the ball. Uh, pretty well for, for a team that was already pretty loaded, although they did lose some defensive pieces, but I think they retooled just fine. And then I also wanted to mention the Jaguars because they really don't get any mentions besides like a Yannick Nguakwe, uh feuding with Tony Khan on Twitter, uh, Mr. AEW himself getting involved in this feud, uh, using his pro wrestling acumen to kind of shut down Nagakwe on Twitter. But uh, Henderson and Chase on alone, you know, when they picked Chase on, uh, that was when the Patriots decided to trade back. So I think that was the guy the Patriots were eyeing. And if the Patriots are eyeing a guy and you take him instead, that's a pretty good pick. Uh, he's versatile as hell. And Henderson, like I said before about the uh, the corners, you want guys that are covering number one receivers uh, week in, week out. And he was playing nothing but the best. So I thought that, that combo alone, uh, you know, along with Josh Allen, who they picked last year, and that makes him an easy candidate for the 2021 playoffs because they still need a quarterback, you know, this year. I still think they're going to tank again and they're going to try and get Trevor Lawrence or whoever, you know, becomes the number two guy to Trevor Lawrence in next year's draft. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the Vikings or the Jags? Uh, this is a stat that I know has uh, been kind of put around all over the place, but the pick that I was really impressed with from the Vikings was linebacker out of Oregon, Troy Dye. Led the team in tackles all four years that he was in college. Wow. I think that that's a really cool stat. And uh, I think the only other thing that sticks out to me about this Vikings draft is just the volume of picks that they have. And you could look at that in two ways. Uh, one, they've got a lot of chance to hit pay dirt here on some underrated guys who slipped down. But my other question is, uh, I'm kind of curious why they didn't maybe try to package some of these picks together and move up and almost consolidate their picks a little bit closer to the top part of the draft. I guess it kind of depends what reads they were making. Again, you get somebody like Troy Dye at 132. That's a pretty good pick. A Temple guy for you, Harrison Hand at 169. Yep. You know, maybe some really good picks down there, but just a lot of picks and a lot of potential to be hitting on some good guys in these late rounds. I, I just – I don't know if that's the Vikings' M.O. I think Zimmer's M.O. and those guys, they, they just like to uh, bring in their guys and develop them no matter what round they were uh, selected in. But uh, I, I could see the point. They, they could have moved up for uh, a better corner. Maybe they could have uh, traded up with a team like uh, – maybe not Jacksonville, but a team around Jacksonville's pick where they picked C.J. Henderson, and maybe that could have been their guy uh, instead instead of uh, picking – oh, God, instead of picking Gladney. Uh, so I, I, I agree that they could have consolidated, but I also don't think that's really their MO. The Vikings are a very play it safe team. Really that whole division is a very play it safe division. So I, I, you know, besides the Packers, they can love this year, obviously, but, uh, Derek, any thoughts? Yeah. The Justin Jefferson pick was just one that was hard, hard to watch just because, uh, I know, I know that, um, you know, I project projected him going to the Eagles, uh, the Ragalore pick, I think, is sitting with me a little bit better now. But whenever the Eagles make a decision that then gives 
my fantasy rival, Angela Madison Jr., the uh, steam to slide into my DMs and hit me with, you know, six or seven different taunting messages. That's just an experience that I I don't really enjoy. Um, You know, I think I think it's really great for the Vikings just because, uh, you know, look, looking at the digs, the digs trade specifically, Vikings are cash strapped, can't afford to pay all, all of these guys. So to get that level of receiver in the first round as, as a replacement is just like dynamite, you know, get them on a rookie deal. uh, And then maybe you can pay the Dalvin cooks of the world on all these people, you know, down the line now that you got CMC, you know, breaking the world with, with his contract. So um, just hard for me as an Eagles fan to watch. <laughs> Paying Cook is going to be a mistake, by the way. They're going to do it, but it, it's, I'm already dreading it for Vikings fans. Like That is going to play out just like the girly contract, if not worse. Anyway. All right, so to finish off here, we have a seltzer update, uh, and it comes from myself, actually, after calling these two guys pansy boys for uh, drinking these things. I'm going to downgrade that to slightly pansy boys. Uh, not, I'm not giving you the whole uh, benefit. What, of the what a generous downgrade that is. Thomas Leffler is a seltzer guy now. He's, He's a seltzer guy. Not He's joining there. us. No, you we're not going heard there. it right here on Next Man on Pod. Uh, Thomas Leffler is a seltzer guy now. He will never drink a, a beer or liquor beverage again. He's exclusively a seltzer guy. This is great. Tom, do you have a brand that you've pledged your allegiance to? Well, first of all, we're not going to go on the liquor thing because uh, shout out 50, shout out G Unit, uh, and Vodka is my shit. I will drink nothing else uh, as far as the vodka goes. Uh, the blood orange flavor, I would recommend highly. I actually uh, like that. I like the blood orange specifically. Super sweet, super smooth. Yes, sir. So, G Unit. Anyway, I don't know. I don't think I'm a full seltzer guy, but I did try some. I tried the Bud Light seltzers. I have not tried. I did, I did try one white claw about six months ago in LA when I was actually out at your place, Derek, and it was it was okay, but I was pretty drunk, so I don't really remember it. Uh, I had a couple Bud Light uh, seltzers. I had tried the mango and I tried the black cherry. I prefer the mango, uh, but interesting hot takes. But well, it's it's more fruity. Like let's just say that. Like if I'm gonna drink something like this, I want something where like the fruit. Uh, flavors almost overpowering because I never liked seltzer like not even not like hard seltzer like just seltzer in general I've never been a fan so if I'm gonna drink it I want something where the uh, fruit power is to the max and I think it was to the max more with the mango than with the blackberry so you're more of a claw guy than I would say you're more of a you know inferior seltzer guy that I think he might uh, if he wants things that are that sweet he might be a truly guy I think truly are sweeter than light claws truly is trash come on like Greg you can't you can't come at me and say that anybody really truly likes drinking truly's come on oh wow that was almost worse than pass on the ground um no, I, I think Tom should give it a try. I think it might be that or the uh, Corona ones might be Tom Leffler's alley. I think White Claw is sweeter than Bud Light Seltzer, but I think for Tom, uh, one of those other ones might be uh, more up his alley if he likes the more fruity drinks, if he's going to drink something like that. Well, first of all, I, I see the truly commercials with our boy Keegan Michael Key, and when he's trying to drink them, he doesn't even look like he's that into it. He doesn't look like he's that excited, and he's supposed to be as excited as fucking possible. He's supposed to look at that thing like it's like 
the gift of life or something, but he, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, he's like barely excited. He takes like one sip of it or whatever. So I, I don't know too much about that. If the, the person in the commercial doesn't even like it, am I supposed to like it? So I don't know about truly. I don't really even see it all, all that often. Like I went to Walmart to get the Bud Light seltzer and I didn't even see truly. I did see the Corona seltzer, which is weird, uh, you know, but Hey, but I thought Bud Light seltzer was weird too. Uh, the positives uh, about the seltzer, it isn't bloating, like you said, Derek. Uh, I, I was able to drink it with, with some chicken and pasta, and I, I only felt the chicken and pasta in my stomach. I didn't really feel the seltzer in my stomach at all. And the taste, like you said, it, it is not too bad. So would I still order it at a bar? Probably not, uh, just because I order liquor at the bar. Would I have it for a tailgate? Again, probably not. I'm probably going to be a liquor guy for the tailgate. But if I'm at home and I'm eating some chicken and pasta or if I'm eating something else, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll I'll have a damn seltzer. So I'm not I'm not a seltzer guy per se. You heard it here first. The oh. ultimate chicken and pasta pairing is a mango Bud Light seltzer. I would say so, man, because it's like uh, the mango has the the sweet, like you said, and it almost like sometimes chicken and pasta could be a little dry. I try not to make it like that, but sometimes it could turn out to be a little dry. So to have something that has a little taste to it, it isn't just like dry dry liquid you know it, it has that taste to it where it's a little not hydrating but it's a little uh off-putting on what the uh, the dryness of the chicken and pasta could be so I, I i see why you guys drink it now like i'm not going to be fully on board um this isn't going to be an every night thing for me but you know and i still have to try the strawberry flavor and the lemon lime flavor and I, I, I don't know what that is but Overall, I'd, I'd, I'd pick the mango over the black cherry, but uh, both are okay. So I hope you guys are happy. Yeah, I definitely, think, I definitely think the lime is a good bet for you to try out next. Strawberry is my least favorite, favorite out of um, all, all of them. So lime is def- definitely a safe bet uh, to move forward with your seltzer drinking experience. Uh, and then I also had a fun fact name drop. I actually have a friend uh, in, in LA that, that lives in the same, uh, building as Keegan, Keegan, Michael Key. It's a beautiful, uh, apart, apartment building that, that he just moved into. And ironically, he's a Rutgers guy out of Jersey. So I was like, really dude, like, wow, of course, of course this, this would happen. But yeah, he's out in Miracle Mile in LA right now, chilling with, with chilling with Keegan. Wait a minute. There's a Rutgers fan. Like like in the world, like that's a thing. Yep, there are people. Did, did he from go New to Jersey. Rutgers? Did he go to Rutgers, or is he a Rutgers fan, or is he both? He is both. Huh? I did, again. I, I knew Rutgers. I would hate it. Are you kidding me? I knew people went to Rutgers, but I didn't know they came out Rutgers fans. There, there are people that I think really buy into. Like not necessarily the team Rutgers, but love what Rutgers stands for with specifically what, like diversity and like you know the Jersey kind of like centrality, like part of it. So I think that was it. But yeah, he loves Rutgers. Man, the that two things that, the two things I know about Rutgers is that their most famous athlete was Ray Rice, and that they lose a lot. Like, what? Yep. How are you going to be a fan of that? Yeah, my, my only <laughs> word. Derek, my only warning for you there is 
you use the phrase center and Jersey in the same sentence and anybody from Jersey is going to start yelling at you that there's no central Jersey. So just be careful with your words. Yo, right? my cousins are from central Jersey though. Like legit, legit. Like I, I literally got cousins that say they're from central Jersey. So I think that's a myth. I don't care. Come at me, you know, slide, like uh, don't at me on that Jersey people. I know nobody's listening to this from Jersey right now, but like, don't at me, all right? There is a central jersey. This is like when Adam Schefter talked about how DeAndre Swift went to St. Joe's Prep, which was, quote-unquote, outside Philadelphia. Like, no, St. Joe's Prep is right in the middle of North Philly. <laughs> so, like, there's no such thing as central jersey, Derek. I'm just letting you know that. All right. Well, I'll, I'll ask my cousins where, where they're from, and I'll send, send, you, the, send you the text. I'm I'm looking forward to it, Derek. Are are they are they gonna tell me to do my gym tan and laundry too? No, that's that's like the shore, bro. This is they're actually close closer to Philly. Like if I had to say north south, it would probably be more south. But I've really am really in the camp that there is a Central Jersey. So the farm hick part of New Jersey, basically. It's uh yeah it's uh. Delran County and Cinnamon Sun, like north of Cherry Hill. Yeah, that sounds like Hick Jersey to me. Yep. Gotta love the Riegers, you know? Except if their name is Jalen, I guess. Yeah. I mean these these guys don't even don't even have my same last name, but they're lit. They're they're great. Love my Jersey cousins. Well, uh, in, in honor of their Jersey cousins, I guess we gotta uh, skedaddle, get the fuck out of here. Uh, so. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. So, uh, on behalf of myself, a newly converted, not claw guy, but partial claw guy. Seltzer uh, guy. Yeah, you're, you're a seltzer guy right now. You're a seltzer I, I guy. Guess I'm a, I, I guess I'm more of a, a seltzer guy, yeah. I, I still have to try white claw again, like, when I'm not. Like, I, I got to do it when I'm sober and not drunk. So. so, I hope this podcast went smooth, just like a Bud Light seltzer. And <laughs> I said not a sponsor. Not a sponsor yet, but you know, I think I think they're going to be soon. You know, I, I can. Hey, Post Malone, he had a great Nirvana concert. That was the best tribute for Nirvana I've ever seen. Please take pity on us and become a sponsor. I'll, I'll call a few people. We'll see what Please I can call. do. Please sponsor me. We'll we'll talk fantasy football for sponsorship. <laughs> All right, for uh, for Derek, for Greg, for myself, uh, we're gonna get uh, go on and get out of here. So uh, we'll do uh, we'll do another pod soon, either on some more NFL season news, maybe some other sports stuff. You never know what you're gonna get on the next Fan Up podcast, except for hate on Jalen Aguilar, Ragalor, however you want to say it. Jalen so, Ragalor. We'll see how that pans out. All right, peace out, everybody. Peace. peace.